Acts 8.12 reads, But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church, and I am... I guess I'm your host. <laughs> have I said that before? I guess I have. It just sounds strange now. Yeah. I guess I'm your host, one of the pastor elders, Bryce. And today I have with me another pastor elder, Andrew. Thanks for being on again, Andrew. It is always great to be here. It's always great to have you. And this quarter, we've been talking about the local church. We've talked about the nature and importance of the church. And you, Andrew, were on for one of those episodes. We talked about the offices of the church, elders and deacons. Now we are focused on what we call the ordinances of the church, and then we'll finish up this quarter by talking about several healthy attitudes to have about the church, which we've kind of already talked about, but we've got some focused episodes on that. But we're talking about ordinances today, and just to be very clear, when we use the word ordinance, we are talking about two actions that Jesus Christ commanded local churches to practice regularly. One of them is baptism, which we're talking about today, and another one is communion, also known as the Lord's table. Now, some people call these ordinances sacraments that actually originates, as everyone certainly knows, from the Latin Vulgate, sacramentum. (laughs) It's one of those very old random traditions that just happened was the Latin translation of the New Testament took the word that uh, musterion, which we translate usually as mystery. And mystery, for whatever reason, was translated with the word sacramentum. And that's where we get the word sacrament from. So in some ways, it's kind of an accident of history that we use the word sacrament. And that's fine. If that's a word you use, that's fine. It's got a long tradition. Lutherans and Reformed Anglicans, of course, the Roman Catholic Church, will talk about sacraments. Uh, But many Baptists and ourselves also tend to avoid that term a little bit, not strongly, but just a little bit and prefer ordinance, mainly because sacrament has been used so long by the Roman Catholic Church to mean something that we don't want to mean, that it actually confers grace and is a part of our salvation. So sacrament can mean that the church has sacraments, the Roman Catholic Church does. And so to avoid confusion, most of the time I'll refer to ordinances, which just means ordained or commanded by Christ. So that's that's the whole idea when we talk about ordinances. So we're talking about baptism today and communion next week, or the Lord's table next week. Those are the ordinances of the church. All right, getting into baptism, I wanted to start with this question for you, Andrew. If you were a missionary to a tribe that had never heard about Christianity, this is all brand new stuff. You learn their language, and you share the gospel with them, and they trust in Christ. And now you encourage them to be baptized, and they say, baptized? What is baptized? How would you describe baptism to them? So in a literal stance, you, I mean, if they have no understanding of it all, we would I would take them back to John the Baptist baptizing Christ and just showing them uh, like the physical act of baptism, 
the dunking baptism, going under the water, being raised back up. Then you could go into explaining to them that, you know, this is symbolically being, uh, going through the, the steps that Christ went through for our, our uh, salvation or for our uh, redemption, being buried, r- raised again, that sort of thing. But then I would also kind of go to our, that's uh, the word I'm looking for, our go-to phrase that we often say here at Faith Bible Churches is the outward expression of an inward change. It's not salvation. You're not being saved by this. You're not being sealed by this. You're not being whatever you tradition you come from. All this is, is this is showing the world, everyone around, anyone that's within eyeshot of you, I am now a follower of Christ. I'm obeying the command to be baptized. It's an outward expression. That's great. Yeah, we sometimes take that for granted because we all know what baptism is. You go in the water, you come out of the water. It is interesting. It is an interesting practice. The Jews in Jesus' day seem to have practiced something like that with Gentiles who converted, but it is an interesting practice. Yeah, to your point, the the things that baptism symbolizes, Romans 6 explains that pretty well. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is talking about an inward reality, an inward change. And he's using the picture of baptism because that's what we represent in baptism. You go. We don't have time to talk about different modes of baptism, sprinkling and things like that. It's enough to say that in the New Testament, they didn't do that. They just baptized you. And the symbolism depends on them dunking you, as you said. You go under the water. It's a picture of you dying with Christ. And then you're raised back up. It's a picture of being alive with Christ. And baptism has some other symbolic representations as well. It's a part of our unity together and things like that. But that seems to be the one of the main pictures there. So I have a question then. That's what baptism represents. What does baptism do? What happens to a person who is baptized? So already in the last question kind of went over what it doesn't do. It doesn't seal you. doesn't uh, save you. It doesn't do all those things. What it does do, though, is since it is that outward expression of an inward change, it is allows other believers to come alongside you and hold you accountable, which... You know, many people don't think about that portion of it. However, that does. It's an announcement to those people that I am claiming Christ. I am saved by his blood, faith alone, through Christ alone. I want you to hold me accountable now. So that allows other believers to come alongside you and help you in your walk, help you through that sanctification. Um, like I said, it doesn't save you. So yeah, what it does do is it professes your faith in a public way. It's it's just that beautiful and wonderful announcement that you now are in Christ. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, that's one of my favorite verses to use with someone who thinks that baptism contributes to salvation in some way. First Peter three twenty one says, "Baptism now saves you." What? Baptism now saves? That's it's in the Bible. But listen, keep reading. There's a comma and then, not as a removal of dirt from the body. In other words, 
not the actual physical act of baptism. So he says, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, again, an inward reality, the inward reality saves you. And baptism represents that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And obviously baptism can't be necessary for salvation because Jesus said to the non-baptized thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And they didn't get him off the cross and baptize him really quick and put him back on the cross. It wasn't an option. He just went right to paradise without baptism. So with everything you've said here, Andrew, if someone's listening to this and they've been a believer for a while, but they've not been baptized as a believer, maybe they were baptized before they were a believer, maybe they were never baptized, but maybe they're a little hesitant because at least here at Faith Bible, you've got to go in front of everyone and share your testimony briefly and be baptized. And that can be scary. And maybe they've been a believer so long, they think, well, that'd be weird since I've been a believer so long. People will be confused if I'm getting baptized now. How important is it for that person listening who's a believer but not baptized? How important is it, do you think, that they go ahead and get baptized? It's important. Um, it's a command. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that the Lord told us to do in throughout Acts. You see that that constant pattern of the here, they believe, they're baptized. They hear, they believe, they're baptized. It is a command that's given to us by God. Um, put down your pride, put down your anxiety, and, and just follow, follow the command. It's not going to take away your salvation if you don't. It's not going to not seal you in your salvation if you don't. However, much like we talked about with uh, the local church and attending church, it's a part of sanctification. It's a part of obedience. It's a part of, if you're claiming Christ, we do what Christ tells us to in his word. I have to say, it would be, a, what's the right word? A bummer to live through this life. And Christ has just given two ordinances, the Lord's table and baptism, and to go through this whole life and miss out on one of those. You never get to participate in baptism. It's a rich thing. It's it's meant as well to uphold your own faith. You know, the ordinances are always attached to the word of Scripture. They're always attached. And they represent what we find in Scripture in a physical way. And there's only two ways to do that. And one's baptism and one's the Lord's table. And so even our own baptism, I remember Luther, Luther with baptism, that was part of his confidence that he was a Christian. He re- he would remember, Satan would come, you're not a believer. You're blah, blah, blah. And he would remember, I know I'm baptized. So our baptism gives us even a confidence publicly. It would just, it would stink to get through life and miss out on it. So I'd encourage you, and Andrew would encourage you to be baptized. And I'd also throw out there that there's a lot of uh, people, especially like within the Baptist church that were baptized as, you know, non-believers, but did it just out of kind of a following the pattern type of a thing. Um, I had a conversation with somebody that went through that and they got baptized, re-baptized. However, they got into kind of a conversation with somebody else about that knew that he'd already been baptized and said, hey, why why'd you get re-baptized? And he said, well, I wasn't a believer when I got baptized the first time. I just did it because of fire insurance, basically. And he said, well, you were already baptized. You really didn't have to get baptized again. And we were talking about that. And I was like, well, it's not really, you weren't re-baptized. You were baptized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. last one didn't matter for anything because you even acknowledged it didn't matter for anything. You were just baptized now. Yeah. So it's like the Anabaptist in history. Anna means again. And they mm-hmm. were the ones holding our view. Be baptized as a believer. 
And people called them the Anabaptists, and they're like, no, we're just Baptists. This is just the only <laughs> baptism you have to believe. It's not magic. So you tell people when you baptize them, if you're not a believer, then you just come out a wet unbeliever. It doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything. You took mm-hmm. a bath. That's all. I guess it does that. But it does nothing more than that you took a bath. Because again, it's just representing an inward change that has to have happened. Well, that kind of segues us, what you said, Andrew, into this final part of this episode. There are different views of baptism out there. So the view that we hold and are discussing right now, which we believe is the clear New Testament pattern, is someone believes and then they're baptized. Since the baptism represents an inward change, the inward change has to be there, or what is it representing? It's called credo baptism. Credo just means believe. So if someone believes and they're baptized, that's that. But that's not the only view. There is another view called pedo-baptism. Pedo refers to a child or infant. And so a pedo-baptist believes in baptizing the infants or the children in families of believing parents, at least one of the parents being a believer. Now, the Roman Catholic view is pedo-baptistic, but it also adds that that pedo-baptism in some way contributes, we would say, maybe they would object, but it in some way contributes to salvation, washes away original sin, confers grace, is a part of a larger sacramental system of how you get and keep grace and thus be saved. That is not right, and all Protestants agree that that is not a right view of baptism. However, there are some Protestants, that is, not Roman Catholic, who nevertheless are paedo-baptists, but they would say paedo-baptism, it doesn't do what the Catholics think it does, it does something else. And now there's some variety in terms of what we think it does, whether you're talking to a Lutheran or a Presbyterian, and there's probably a variety within those camps. But I'm just going to say, generally speaking, when I meet a paedo-baptist, let's say, who is solid in theology, apart from this one issue, I would say, because I disagree, but solid in theology and teaching, gospel-focused, it's often, often a Presbyterian, they would say that paedo-baptism is, is connected to this idea of covenant in the Old Testament, God's covenant people Israel. The way you knew you were a part of God's covenant people was if you were a male, you were circumcised as an infant, unless you came later, as an infant at eight days old, you were circumcised, and that circumcision was a sign that you were part of the covenant people of God. You were part of the covenant community, and we all agree that that's true, but a paedo-baptist, Protestant paedo-baptist, like a Presbyterian, for example, would say, well, that idea, that concept of circumcision continues, that was under the old covenant, but that continues into the new covenant. But in the new covenant, it's not circumcision, but instead it's baptism. And therefore we ought to baptize, not just the male children, but now of course we can baptize male and female children of believing parents. We baptize them to signify they are part of the covenant community. Just like in the Old Testament, that didn't guarantee your salvation. So they would say it doesn't guarantee your salvation. But yeah, I won't get into, because there's some difference, I think. But in a sense, it's as if you are, someone else is 
See, if you're a pedo-baptist, you're going to say, he's describing this terribly. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I don't agree with the view, but I'm doing my best. You will have someone else, parents, who are bearing witness. Is this right? Testifying. You know, they are the ones. It's their faith that's in view that this is a child that, Lord willing, will believe. So it's still attached to salvation. It's looking forward to salvation and to faith. It's just, of course, it's a baby, so the baby has not yet believed. Andrew, how would you respond to a Protestant paedo-baptist friend who is trying to convince you of this view? Well, I would start by going over the fact that there are many good men mm-hmm. that you know we would allow to be taught in our church. I think of like R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not go toe-to-toe with R.C. Sproul on this, <laughs> this topic <laughs> yeah. for the simple fact that it's R.C. Sproul. No. So there are good men that that have the opposing view to us. However, when I read the word, I continually go back through the word on this. I think I've already mentioned it in this podcast that there's a, there's a pattern. There's a clear pattern for baptism. You hear the word, you come to Christ, you're baptized. It's an outward expression of an inward change. I understand the, the idea behind the, uh, it's a new form of the circumcision I don't necessarily see it. I don't necessarily agree with it. However, when I do go to the word, I see you hear the word, come to Christ, you're baptized. It is not sealing. It's not salvation. It's a, a, rea- a action that is taken in obedience to Christ after the fact. I've got a bunch of different scriptures written down, but the one that um, is quite often quoted on both sides would be that uh, Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer converted, where it mentions, and I'll just go ahead and read it, starting in verse 30. It says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them up into the house and set food before them and rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in god so that's often the one that's that's brought up on both sides like the whole household's baptized here so does that mean we baptize our children one of my arguments is it doesn't say ages in here. It doesn't say understanding. It doesn't say, but what it does say before anybody's baptized is that they were preached the word. They heard the word. They accepted Christ. Then they were baptized. Him and his whole household on both instances. That's when, that's when it happens. It's when they hear it, when they accept, then they're baptized. And they rejoice. And they rejoice. Which means they had to understand mm-hmm. what was going on to mm-hmm. be able to rejoice about it. Well, someone listening to this may not be baptized. Maybe you've been a believer and you've not been baptized just because you don't think it's important or it's a little embarrassing to go up front, whatever that may be. Or maybe you do hold more of a pedo-baptistic view and think that Andrew and I are dead wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> is it fair to say, whatever the case may be, by God's grace, may he help us all now to think this way. 